Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. It looks like we have uh, JB uh, having returned from a, uh, a long sabbatical. How are you, JB? Good, good. Yeah, it's been a crazy summer. Uh, hey, I JB. Bet so. You know, we are uh, part of the, the craziness of our world is, uh, has been the coronavirus. Uh, I'm going to bring it up again tonight uh, because I continue to get really hostile uh, letters from conspiratorial types that are trying to convince people that the uh, vaccine is uh, is counterproductive. Um, and what I want to uh, do here is just be real, direct, and simple. If you're a covenant member, you cannot be conspiratorial. You can expose and condemn conspiracies, but you cannot promote them. The myth that the COVID vaccine is somehow harmful is not only incredibly stupid, it is a conspiracy. It falls right in the core of conspiracies, as a matter of fact. It's been one of the lead conspiratorial theories for at least 25 or 30 years that uh, vaccines are, are manipulative and counterproductive. But if you're a covenant member, not only can you not be conspiratorial, which means all of these nincompoops out there that are are speaking out against being vaccinated while using my translations and transliterations and claiming to be covenant, you're in direct violation of the one thing that both Yahweh and I have asked. Do not mix anything to do with Yahweh and conspiracy. Do not claim to be covenant. Do not use Yahweh's name if you're advancing any conspiratorial notion, including anti-vax. You are destructive of credibility. Second, 
as a covenant member, we have a responsibility to live our lives in a manner that is consistent with Yahweh's teachings. And hang on one second here. What that means is that we have to be responsible. And what I've told the people that uh, work uh, here at my property and that I that I meet, I said, listen, if if you're going to be crazy enough to risk your own life with a virus that is has elements of SARS in it, elements of of uh, HIV, and elements of Ebola, uh, that has a gain of function trigger that makes it uh, particularly harmful, that is killed millions of people worldwide, and that now is on a, a path uh, through variations that make people more and more susceptible to it. If you want to risk your own life, that's stupid, but I'm a big advocate of free will. You have the right to be stupid, but you don't have the right to risk somebody else's life. And if you don't get vaccinated, you are 97% more likely to contract the disease and almost 99% more likely to pass it on to someone else. That's irresponsible. You're being an absolute jerk. It says that I only care about my conspiracy religion because that's all I know. That is how I define myself. I don't give a crap about any other human being. I will go ahead and risk their lives. I have no respect for that kind of uh, attitude. It's just flat out wrong. Many of these people that are conspiracies, too, will, uh, will deny the existence of COVID. They will say, that, you know, it's this, that, and the other thing that has all been exaggerated, whatever they, they wish to say. And the fact is that, uh, that not only is it with us, not only have governments responded to it foolishly, but, you know, uh, 3,450 years ago, told us exactly how we should respond when we have a pandemic. And the first thing he said is wear face masks. And yet many of the conspiratorial types are pretending like being told to wear a face mask is a a deprivation of their liberty and an imposition of their government as opposed to just being responsible. But that's the whole nature of conspiracy. You have a miserable life and you want to blame somebody else for it as opposed to accepting responsibility yourself. So these things go hand in hand. So then, of course, Yahweh said that we as a society don't seem to understand, which is that when somebody gets sick with a virus, do not send them into the area within the community where people are the most vulnerable, which is what we're doing. We send them into our hospitals. Mm-hmm. That's the last place they should go. That's where people are sick. That's where people are particularly vulnerable. That's the reason why the majority of, of COVID deaths have comorbidity and 
the people who are dying have two or three other fatal diseases that COVID just accelerated their demise. What we're supposed to do is to isolate them. We should have been responsible and created COVID wards outside of the metropolitan areas and let people heal there, equip them the best that we can, but let people heal there. And then only after two weeks of being COVID free, let them back into the general population. That is what is responsible. Beyond uh, uh, COVID, I want to talk a little bit about the demise of, uh, of the United States. I was the only person doing radio shows, writing books, that said even before we invaded Afghanistan that we would and that it would turn out to be a killing field for us, that we would squander blood and coin, making a bad situation worse. And at the end of it all, no matter if we stayed a week, a year, or 20 years, that when we left, it would be as if we had never been there. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty close to being accurate. The only thing that is slightly different is that the Taliban only controlled about uh, 40% of Afghanistan when we invaded. Now they control about 90%. The Northern Alliance used to keep them in check that they don't exist anymore. So we've actually increased the presence of the Taliban. We knew at the time that the Taliban was a, we were leasing, because we used the Taliban when we were trying to give the Russians a taste of their own in in, uh, Afghanistan. Uh, We knew they were an arm of the Pakistani government, and yet we pretended like the Pakistanis were fighting this war on terrorism with us until such time as the Taliban prevailed and the Pakistanis couldn't stop plotting. (coughs) Our situation, by the way, in Iran (coughs) is even worse than what we experienced in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan's as bad as it gets. (coughs) We not only spent hundreds of billions, if not a trillion dollars, doing the impossible, trying to convert Muslims to democracy, trying to change the society without changing the religion, such that the president thought we had 300,000 Afghani fighters that were well-trained and well-equipped. And I'm not sure they fired a shot. It's... It's amazing how blind we can be to reality. But that's exactly Mm -hmm. as it was always going to be. And now we decided just to leave. We didn't bother to pull out our embassy staff, the NGO American staff, or any of the translators or those that uh, helped us. We just left. We didn't even bother to remove our equipment where there's many hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. weapons there in Afghanistan that are now owned by fundamentalist Muslims. 
And in the ensuing chaos yesterday, what a tragedy. What, 92 people were killed by an Islamic suicide bomber. And we don't even want to blame the Taliban. We want to blame uh, ISIS. There is no ISIS. There is an Islamic State. But the Islamic State was ISIS for about 15 minutes. Why is it we just can't call them what they are, the Islamic State? And while we're calling things what they are, can you tell me what the difference is between Hamas, the Islamic State, the Taliban, and Hezbollah? Zero. Geography? <laughs> Geography, <laughs> yeah. Well, Geography. I'm not even well, sure. It's the different areas, but they're pretty much the same. Yeah, Hamas is, uh, is uh, in uh, the Gaza Strip, and uh, uh, Hezbollah, for the most part, has uh, destroyed Lebanon. They're now in the process of uh, destroying uh, Yemen. They're in the process of destroying um, Syria. They're in the process of, uh, of destroying Jordan, which has just invited them in. Uh, There's an incredibly destructive uh, force. But at this point, both of them are funded by Iran. And so the, the old lines of, well, you know, Hezbollah is different than Hamas because Hamas is a Sunni Islamic terrorist organization mm-hmm. and Hezbollah is a Shia, well, the principal financier of, of Hamas are the Shias. Mm-hmm. So there really is, uh, is no difference uh, anymore other than the, in religious cliques, it's uh, very much like the Eastern Orthodox Church versus uh, Roman Catholic Church. Uh, they have to have their own separate leaders. So at this point, the uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, where the little Mo has an ego the, uh, the size of uh, the Kaaba, um, wants to go to war against the Iranians because, uh, you know, they're, uh, they don't acquiesce to his authority. But we as Americans, after 20 years of this, still can't acknowledge that the problem is fundamentalist Islam. We're unwilling to say it, unwilling to admit it. Uh, when there's a suicide bombing, we say everything other than, well, that was, uh, that was, yeah, that was Islamic. And it's just hard to imagine how we could be that stupid, how we could lose that many lives and never come to the understanding of who the enemy actually is. We have spent... Uh, JB and Kirk knows this now. We spent the last four or five programs covering uh, Teruah. Teruah is the next uh, Moed Mikre that we're uh, going to be celebrating. Uh, it'll be celebrated either on the 7th or the 8th of September, depending on uh, uh, what you view as um, observational versus um, uh, astronomical. Astronomical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a uh, a real sad thing that is happening in Israel as they uh, they're constantly talking about their high holy days, and their holy holy days begin with Rosh Hashanah. So, guys, you you know the Torah pretty well. Could you please yeah. tell me where Rosh Hashanah is uh, mentioned in the Torah? <laughs> No, no, no Babylon. Wait a minute. New so the high holy days begin with a day that isn't even mentioned in the Torah. 
and they claim to be Torah observant? No. We must have a lie going on here, don't we? You can't be Torah observant and celebrate uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is Babylonian. I mean, but why would we be surprised? The uh, the Talmud. What are the, what what is the Talmud? It is the Babylonian Talmud. That is the core text of rabbinic Judaism. Is of course the Babylonian Talmud. Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, and it's the Babylonian New Year. Congratulations, morons. And really, congratulations, morons. And then the second step of your high holy days is uh, the day of, uh, of affliction. The day of atonement. Oh, it's the highest holy day in your calendar. Yahweh yeah, named the day that we're going to be talking about now after the, uh, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Yaporif is, is a plural form of Kaporim. Same word. The mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant has the same name as this particular day. Now, every definition of Kapoor speaks of being generous, of being kind, of, uh, of uh, being accepting, of reconciling a relationship, uh, restoring the, uh, the relationship. And yet, these religious nincompoops celebrate their high holy days by afflicting themselves. I mean, imagine, God's throwing a party, and he says, okay, we've been separated a long time. It's really good to have you back again. Uh, you know my name, finally. You, you're actually Torah observant as opposed to Talmud observant. Uh, I've just whooped all your enemies. I've just transformed your land back into the conditions experienced at, uh, at Eden. We're about to camp out together in this glorious city that now has this magnificent water feature running through it and absolutely no religious edifices of any kind. They're all gone. It is literally like living in the Garden of Great Joy again. And the nincompoops say, boy, isn't that swell? Why don't we start whipping ourselves? This sounds like the perfect time to humble ourselves and afflict ourselves. Let's not party with God. Let's not be happy. Let's be miserable. What on earth would cause you to be that stupid? Religion. Yeah, religion. One of the things we... Yeah, we're going to learn because there's... It's hard to imagine, but it just turned out to be this way. As I started rewriting the uh, Mikre, the Moed Mikre. It was one volume of the old Yadiyahu series. Well, it's now three volumes. And there are five chapters just on the Purim. God has a really an enormous amount to say about Kaporim. It is the most important day on his calendar. And it is an exceedingly complex day because it is equal parts celebration of the reunion of his family with Yisrael and Yahudah and the annihilation of all who have opposed him. In particular, um, religious Jews. 
but also Christians and every other uh, religious and political entity that has uh, opposed Israel. And so there's so much happening on this day. It's, it's, and once you reach it, there is no return. You, you can't say, well, now that I know that you're real and that you're here, I think maybe I'll give up Judaism now. Will you accept me? No. So this is it. Now, one of the things about Kippurim that is different is that Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim, which is Yahweh calls Chag, Matzah, uh, something else that Jews religiously uh, screw up. Uh, matzah has become an ingredient in Passover when, in fact, Passover it just happens to be the first day of Chag Matzah. But what we learn is that Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim, they're open to everybody. So long as you embrace what it means to be Yisrael, so long as you are Torah observant, so long as you are, uh, have met the conditions of the covenant, you're welcome. It does not matter if you're male or female, if you're young or old, if you are ethnically Jewish or Goyim. It matters not. And Shabua, so after we get through Pesach, Matz, and Makonim, which is open to everybody, Shabua is the ultimate open party, because on Shabua, where Yahweh's children, the beneficiaries of Pesach, Matz, and Makonim, are being enriched, being empowered, being enlightened. Uh, it's a day that we should want other people around just so that they can see what Yahweh is doing for us. And on that day, we're being prepared to do what is our primary job. We are the living embodiment of Teruah. In fact, it's a funny thing. Is I was uh, going about rewriting uh, the introduction to God. There is a, what will now be two chapters, but after the introductory prologue, um, I've written what will, I think it's right now at about 120 pages, so it's, it's clearly going to have to be two chapters. But it's called, Why You, Why Me? Mm -hmm. why, are you, why are you reading this? And why am I the person who is sharing it with you? And one of the things that we, we do in this chapter is I go through, after I explain why you and how God reaches out to people and how he chooses who he wants to be as part of his family, uh, we don't choose God. God chooses us. Yeah. Uh, that's... Uh, just obvious when you uh, read uh, how he interacts with uh, with people, and it's uh, it's his home. Uh, it's going to be for all eternity. Uh, he's uh, he has every right to to choose who he wants to spend eternity with. But <clears throat> one of the things that uh, we, brings us here is that uh, one day I'm minding my own business. It's uh, right after nine eleven, and and um, God asked me to engage uh, on the mission of exposing and condemning Islam. And I'm, uh, I'm not really keen on the idea. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And I don't even know who Yahweh is. So I've never even heard the name Yahweh. So, uh, and I'm an agnostic at the time. Uh, yeah, it, do it doesn't really sound like a lot of fun. It, no one's ever done that and survived it. Uh, mm -hmm. Correct. 
and you know the transition began because he said, reach into your pocket, and uh, there in my pocket was the 91st Psalm. And so the 91st Psalm becomes a significant part of the why me. Uh, well, what was interesting relative to our primary calling, which is Teruah, the day that occurred was Teruah. So uh, God's really serious about our role. We are we are the living embodiment of Teruah. Everybody who is part of the covenant family is to be engaged in Teruah. Sharing Yahweh's message while warning people who are religious and political and conspiratorial that they're headed the wrong direction. Now, if we do our job well, and understand, God does not work alone. So, since he does not work alone, he is dependent upon us doing our job well. Now, keep in mind, God, um, I was going to say God can cheat, but uh, that sounds uh, uh, as a pejorative. It gives Uh, it a negative. (laughs) Yes. God can influence the outcome. How about that? And so, while he is unwilling to work alone, and therefore he is dependent upon us doing a good job of Teruah, or there is no Kippurim. There is no Kippurim if we do not do a good job of, of Teruah. And I'll explain that more in a moment. The way that God changes the likelihood of our success together is with his set-apart spirit and his word. He equips us to perform. Mm-hmm. So he he makes it possible for us to do what we're doing. That doesn't change the fact that he is still reliant upon us accepting his help and acting upon it. Mo, yeah, I was not going into Egypt without Moshe. Just all there is to it. He's the only person qualified on the planet. God's not going into Egypt to liberate his people without Moshe. He's not building the ark and saving people with an Asama without Noah. He's not forming the covenant relationship without Abraham. He's not unifying Israel and setting up the country in Jerusalem without doubt. Sometimes there's lots of people to work with. Sometimes there are very few. He's not communicating to us without prophets. As a matter of fact, we go from Malachi and 450 BCE all the way to Dode's return in 2033 without a prophet. Not one. Without a prophet, God doesn't communicate anything new to us. All we have is what he has said in the past. Now, that's a lot. And we ought not feel de- uh, deprived in no any way because, yeah. because you could spend 20 lifetimes doing this and you still <laughs> could process all this there to understand. And we, we, he gives us much more than we need. But the fact is, God doesn't communicate without a prophet. There has not been a single Yehudim from 450 BCE to the present date willing 
to work with Yahweh as a prophet. That's why there have been none. So God does not communicate to humankind other than through his words aided by his spirit. But that's not anything that's new. He's just reinforcing what he's already shared. So God is actually dependent upon us doing this job well. And don't... I, I, when I say this, it, it makes it sound like, you know, we're, we're big shots and, and God's not and he can't do it without us. It, that's not the message. The message is that God created the universe because he wanted to engage in relationships that were family-oriented. He wanted to share his universe with sons and daughters. That's what he wanted to do. So anything that he does that is inconsistent with that is counterproductive to the reason he created the universe and authored life. So God can't violate the prime objective. Prime objective is to do stuff together. So the moment he says, I don't want to do stuff together anymore, I'm going to do it independently, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is God aware that if he's going to use people like us, that it isn't going to be as magnificent and as clear and as perfect as if he did it himself? Of course. It doesn't change the fact that's the way he wants it done. That's the way he's always done it, and he's not going to change. You know, at this moment, we're the best he's got. We, we, we've got our flaws for darn sure. And when you got a damaged tool, we take a little extra work to make it work, but you can still make it work. Just a lot of tape, a lot of duct tape. One of these days, we're it's going like a to. Little, it's a little harder to do the digging, but the shovel gets the job done. It, it does. Yeah. It does. But that's, again, it's a, uh, a shovel in a masterful hand, and he likes doing it this way. It's. And it's consistent with his intent. So it is exceedingly important that we who are in the covenant do our jobs well on Teruah so that God's celebration with his family on Kippurim, which, by the way, does not involve us, goes well. Even if you are ethnically uh, Jewish, Kippurim really does not involve you. Your relationship's already reconciled if you're in the covenant. Yeah. doesn't okay. matter your ethnicity. Already reconciled. Kippurim is the day of reconciliation. It is our job of those who are in the covenant, who have become immortal, who have become perfected, who have become adopted, who have enriched, empowered, uh, and enlightened, to capitalize on that opportunity. How we ended the last program. Don't spare your voice. Blow this trumpet so far. Get people's attention. Tell the family to come home. Leave religion. And that's what God is counting on us doing. That is, these books, these programs, all exist for that purpose, to reach... Yisrael and Yehudim and 
goyim who are willing to listen so that we capitalize on the covenant and on Kippurim. This is the day of reconciliations. And so we are educating and pleading with Yisrael and Yehudim to come home. And if we do that job well... We're celebrating the return of the prodigal son. Yes. And I'm a little... That's all we're doing. Well, I, I love the, uh, the, the concept of the prodigal son, and, uh, and clearly I see uh, Yisrael and, Yehudim, uh, and Yehuda in it. Um, I've, become, I've become really antagonistic towards anything that comes out of the Christian New Testament. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I know uh, JB, you're not, you're, you've never been a Christian, so you don't see it that way, and you, you would, uh, um, you recognize that it is the story of uh, of Yisrael and Yahuda coming home, although it should be the prodigal sons under those circumstances, because yeah. they're not only reconciling the relationship with one another, which does not happen in that story. So, just to show you how the Christian New Testament screwed up. They don't reconcile. The brothers are still bellyaching against each other. And the whole concept of, is that Yisrael and Yahuda mend the fences between them that uh, became, they became so divisive uh, uh, at the end of Solomon's uh, reign. And then they reconcile the relationship with Yahweh. And it is all about coming to appreciate his name, his, uh, his covenant, uh, and his Moed Mikre. So yes, we are we're on the sidelines cheering them on, and if we do our job well, then it naturally leads to camping out with God, to uh, uh, Sukkah. Uh, <clears throat> what I was going to say is a, is a bit of a spoiler alert as we uh, go through this, is that uh, my wife um, got really angry at me about um, three weeks ago. She put, um, uh, just a note, Yashaya 55 through 65 uh, on a post-it note, put it on my computer screen and said, you really need to translate this and deal with it. You you probably need to deal with it now. Uh, And then she said, um, you're wrong about the Zoroa. And I said, no, I'm not wrong about the Zoroa. There are three Zoroa there. The three Zoroa are Moshe, who is the, the um, productive shepherd. There's Dod, who is the protective ram. And there's Yosha, who is the sacrificial lamb. Those are the three mighty Zoroa, the three most important people. He said, no, you're wrong about the, uh, the Zoroa, and you really need to be translating this. And I said, I got it trying to rewrite these books. I don't have time to go there right now. I'll get there, but I, I just can't do it. And, oh, she was miffed at me. So I spent the last week or so beginning at uh, Yeshaya 55, which I actually had started already because I was um, trying to conclude the uh, um, the, the last book uh, on uh, Moed. So we now have three completed volumes on the Moed Mikre. So the good news is, as we move and start celebrating uh, Teruah, uh, Kippurim, and Sukkah, 
They're on the bookshelf at yadayad.com. Go open them. The, the material is fresh, recent translations, uh, accurate uh, and expansive. So I, I had already done Yeshaya 55, 56, 57, and uh, we shared some of this uh, in, a, in a previous show. It, it's, it's extraordinary what it says, and it's talking about us. Not just me, it's talking about us. And it, uh, it introduces a fourth Zeroah, uh, the arm of God as the fourth Zeroah. And it, it goes all the way through 65, and it's one story about Yahweh before he returns, reaching out to Goyim as a team of people to awaken his people and to tell the story. So God is really serious about this. Eh? Uh, for two weeks, I've just wanted to crawl in a hole and say, no, it can't be true. Let's go back to being yada and anonymous. That's much more mm-hmm. fun. And for two weeks, every time I turn around, it's, it's another and another and another and another. And you say, okay, God, let's change the subject. And I keep on saying, well, if I translate more, I'll work my way out of this. No, no I just get in deeper. Uh, so we will, we will get there, but it's important for every covenant member to understand how important this job is to awaken Yisrael and Yahuda so that they come to appreciate what the Day of Reconciliations actually means to Yahweh and to them. Israelites and Yahudim who throw off the yoke of religion will come to embrace Yahweh, coming to love his name at long last. Well, that's one of the reasons we know that we know religious Jews in Shamaim. They despise his name. However, for those who have come to destroy Jerusalem and annihilate Jews, their rendezvous with destiny will not go as they had hoped. Well, we have a, uh, a woofing dog. I don't know if that's paint or if that's at uh, your place. No, JB, but... he doesn't woof that good. Okay, no? that's probably at your place, JB. Yeah, it's a pretty, uh, pretty loud uh, dog there in the, the background. Uh, and that's three rooms away. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. We got a the... new puppy. So our, big do- our older dog is having a lot of fun playing with the puppy and teaching her how to bark. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the Moed Mikre, uh, designated by Yahweh as Yom Kippurim, has become known mostly as the Day of Atonement. There's nothing wrong with atonement except for the fact it has religious connotations. And mm-hmm. uh, people think they need to atone for their sins. That, no. It's Yahweh doing the reconciling. Over time, rabbis have altered God's testimony to suggest that atonement, which is, as I said, it's a religious term, and it actually means to reconcile. Uh, that fool a lot of people, however. If you were to say, what does atonement mean? There isn't one in a thousand that's going to say, well, it means to restore and reconcile a relationship. That's not, not what people think. It could only be achieved, uh, according to religious Jews, the rabbis, 
by afflicting oneself. And as a result, Yahweh intended, his intended reunion with his people is a time of religious suffering and deprivation whereby Orthodox Jews abstain from all food and all drink for 25 hours. God's throwing a feast. As a matter of fact, this is, it's called Chagsuka, the umbrella for this event. God has three Chag celebrations. There's Chag Matzah, Chag Shabua, and Chag Suka. So God is throwing a festival feast, and they abstain from food and drink and deprive themselves for 25 hours. It is as if they dread reconciliation. And I can see, if you're a rabbi, you are going to dread reconciliation because you aren't going to be on the positive side of that. Our dictionaries tell us that afflict is from the Latin uh, afflictare. It means to be struck and cast down. So if God's purpose is to reconcile fallen man unto himself, well, that would be the antithesis of the intended result. And it is in direct conflict with Yahweh lifting us up so we can stand beside him. And I appreciate Yahweh's perspective on this day. Realize that his Pesach and Matzah sacrifices are now behind him. With Bacorum, he is enjoying the result as his covenant family is born. He's a proud father. God has watched his Ruach Kodesh set apart spirit, enrich and empower, enlighten his young family on Shabuah so that the beneficiaries of the covenant become more capable and more like him with every passing day. And then there is the tremendous satisfaction of witnessing us perform on Teruah, on boldly proclaiming the truth on behalf of his people. And at long last, Yisrael and Yahudah finally respond. They reach up to Yahweh. They exclaim his name, inviting him into their lives. All the while, his chosen Masiach, Messiah, is removing the trash, ridding the world of those who have harmed his people, while his spirit transforms a scarred earth into the garden of great joy. Now, there is an aspect of what is written in the later chapters of Yeshaya, 59, 60, 61, 62, that suggest that um, Dode is not the one who is going to, well, Dode is clearly the one that's coming back. He's going to be the king of king. But Dode is not the one um, responsible for retribution, for for holding those who have abused his people accountable. Uh, It looks like that job is going to be done prior to his return. Um, So we will explore that as we get into those passages in future programs. Now imagine observing God's face for the first time, looking into his eyes, seeing his smile, relish his feelings when, which, uh, when we first walk up to our Heavenly Father in anticipation of a hug, consider the thrill of having Yahweh actually write his Torah guidance upon our hearts, equipping us 
to make the most of this opportunity. Think about the songs we're going to sing, the sights we're going to see, the people we're going to get to know, the things we're going to understand. And that is what will happen on this day. Yom Kippurim is the day of reconciliations. It celebrates Yahweh's long-awaited reunion with his people. It is a welcome home party. As part of his family, we are prepared for the final step in our journey when we camp out with our Father. Now, from this perspective, imagine how out of place you'd be if in the midst of all of this celebration you said, let's whip ourselves. I got an idea. Let's afflict ourselves and deny ourselves. Let's bow down and be religious. Let's ignore Yahweh's name. Let's ignore him, as a matter of fact. Let's turn to our Babylonian Talmud. It'll be great. Let's, uh, let's do everything that caused us to be separated from him in the first place. The moment Yahweh finished explaining his thoughts on Teruah, this is what he said. This is from Kara, which means to... Uh, call out an invitation to meet, 2326. Then Yahweh declared the word to Moshe, saying, exclusively, ak, only during the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of reconciliations. This exists as a set-apart and special, a kodesh, Invitation to meet, Mikra, for you all to approach, La Atem, you being plural. Pretty straightforward, exclusive. Just on this day, 10th of the uh, seventh month, is the day, Ha Ze Yom, of Hakaporum, of atonements, of pardons, of forgiveness from kafar to make reconciliation by purging and covering. And it's not just being covered over. It's having everything that was blocking our ability to uh, relate to God, to engage with him, all that's purged, gone. And then we're covered over in a garment of light so that we appear perfect in, uh, in God's eyes. Now, it's is one of the very first times, it's really, in fact, very seldom that we see God make a declaration with Ak, which means exclusively, only. So there's something about Kippurim, uh which will occur once and on this day. The numbers designating the time here are instructive in themselves. Um, this is the seventh month, which is the time of promise. It is the tenth day, symbolizing our enrichment. Seven is, is uh, conveyed by Zayen, which uh, is a plow, um, removing uh, the, the numeral seven, not the word seven. So word seven is Shabbat. But the numeral seven is conveyed by the letter Zayn, which is a plow. 
removing weeds while turning over the other uh, ground and preparing it to receive nutrients to support new growth, uh, so long as it's moving in the right direction. The wrong direction, it doesn't accomplish anything. It's more like an anchor. Ten is portrayed by the yod, Yahweh's hand. The yod is the numeral seven in Hebrew, reaching down and out to us at this time. As is the case, however, with uh, another Moedim, eternal witness, Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliations, is a Mikra Kodesh, set apart and special invitation to be called out and meet to an, uh, what's it called, an S&M party, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for being rabbinical. No, 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 they're going to be Torah uh, service. No, no, it's, a, it's a chag, it's a festival. This designation helps us shape our appreciation for how it should be observed. It is an opportunity to read and recite of the Torah and to proclaim Yahweh's name to invite friends and family and to summon God's people. Uh, Kirk, I think uh, you uh, did the uh, your your famous uh, pictograms, the uh, these letters on Kippur. My my would be uh, not speculating much to suggest you probably did that, didn't you? What does Kippur say in the letters? In the letters, where you start with a cough. And I, this is this is my interpretation of it, as far as I can do in the context that I'm reading. But it's an open-handed welcomes. It can it can be a negative, but in this case, it would that would be ridiculous. The yod that follows it is the hand reaching down, of course, from Yahweh. It's an authority. It's the one who reaches down to lift up. How we're all familiar with that. And then the pay is by communication, using nourishing words in the language as followed by the wa for the purpose of increasing the family. What other purpose would there be? And the Rosh, or Resh, is the old-fashioned name, but the Rosh is more modern, uh, with those who Shema, or Shama, and those who Shema the Torah. So if you can find something uh, negative in that, I can't. It's mercy. It's all, it's all good. Yahweh is doing everything. We just have to show up and uh, participate. Yeah, actually, you know, when you deal with the uh, the kof, which is the uh, kof, actually means palm. It's the hollow yes. of a hand. Um, is what the kof it can describes. Cover so, as well, by the way. Yeah, so it's yeah, so it's an open hand um, that uh, where the uh, the hollow of the hand is uh, is the key element of it. Uh, when I was translating the later chapters of Yeshaya. He specifically says that the, uh, what I'm calling the little Z, the fourth Zeroa, mm-hmm. is in the palm okay. of his hand. It's in the cough. So this is a place where, where God can deploy us and protect us and empower us and use us and, and afford us even his authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's to, to be in the hollow of Yahweh's hand, the ka, that's, mm-hmm. that's as good as it gets. You know, it's, it may even be better than Yahweh's first letter in Yahweh's name, which is the hand, the arm and hand that is reaching out with an open hand to us that we can reach up and grasp that can lift us up. Mm-hmm. Because 
Well, that hand is there, and when we reach up to it and, and grasp hold of it and walk alongside Yahweh, it, it is even better to be in the hollow of his hand. This is God said, I'm That's him lifting up. you up. Absolutely. And, and lifting so, you up on a high at that point and protecting you. And, and that means that you're in the center of what he is focused on. That's a better. I like that better. So I do. a cough is a really, really important uh, concept in, uh, in Hebrew. And the, the pay also uh, is, plays a very important part of the, uh, that same passage where uh, God says from his mouth, pay being the mouth of God, that from mm-hmm. his mouth he is going to provide a new restoring name. And I said, I'm going to give you all an entirely new uh, designation. And the unit designation is going to be renewing and restoring and reaffirming. You're really going to like it. Uh, it's, it's kind of yeah. like I've been, calling, I've been calling you a sucker all this time. And uh, and so I'm going to really give you a name because yeah, I haven't given you a name so far. I've just used a bunch of uh, of titles, and the first one was sucker. So maybe it's time that I give you a name. Uh, but uh, the mouth of God is a, is a really important thing because that's God's spoken word. That's yes. us listening to God when He tells us to shama. We're listening to His him speaking to us. So it is the, uh, the mouth of God. And therefore, you know, an ex- well, I, what I think is an exceedingly important um, concept. And then the, the Roche, um, as we explore Yahweh's explanation of this day, one thing mm-hmm. becomes particularly obvious is that there's only one way to God. Yes, and that one way to God is in our minds. We think our way to Him. Mm-hmm. We don't act our way to Him. We don't beg our way to Him. We don't pray our way to Him. We don't kneel our way to Him. We don't donate our way to Him. The only way to God is in our minds. We have to listen to what He said, observe what He has written, contemplate exactly it, consider. come to yeah. yes, come to know it, come to understand it, come to act upon it. All of that takes place in our minds. That's correct. So, uh, I, with you look at the Rosh as the uh, last letter of uh, of Kapoor, what you find is is the human head, eyes that uh, can see, uh, ears that can hear, uh, a mouth that can speak, but mostly uh, it is uh, a, a profile showing. Our, our head where we uh, where we think so it becomes an exceedingly important word uh, Kapoor is used eight times always in the plural form Kapoor now it's amazing that God only uses it in the plural form relative to this day have you ever read or seen a Jewish religious site that calls this day Kapoor no no Always Yom Kippur, isn't it? Yom Kippur. Always Yom Kippur. But why would you change it if God says it's Kippurim? He's consistent. 
always Kippurim. Well, now, there's a reason for him saying it's the day of reconciliations. It's Yisrael being reconciled with Yahudah, and both Yisrael and Yahudah being reconciled with Yahweh. Two forms of reconciliation on the day. Now, the verbal root is kafar. It means to make reconciliation by purging and covering. And this indicates that by purging us of the residue of religious corruption, we are cleansed of the stain and stigma of these things. Then we can be covered in Yahweh's light, coming to appear perfect in God's eyes. Now, as we have shared, Kapuram can be conveyed atonement, especially if it is cleansed of its religious trappings, because to atone means to repair the damage done by an otherwise offensive uh, expiation. The, to expiate is to extinguish any guilt incurred so as to make amends. Now, we humans are not extinguishing our guilt. God's job. No. And so beating yourself okay. up, depriving yourself, isn't going to get that done. You know, atonement is, is a specific form of forgiveness, which includes a pardon, which leads to reconciliation. So the name Yahweh assigned to this day is consistent with the message of Passover and unyeasted bread. These are related and sequential events, truly one following the other. Now, based on these insights, Kippurim is most accurately translated as reconciliations, as purging the past to provide a pardon. It is a time for forgiveness and thus to repair the relationship. The day of reconciliations is between Yahweh and his people, Yisrael and Yahudah. It has nothing to do with Goyim, um, other than being among those who played a role in announcing Yahweh's intent regarding Kippurim and to have perhaps increased the number of beneficiaries, which is our, our collective mission, even to have explained the prophetic implications of this day, Goyim, like ourselves, will be celebrants in the audience, applauding. Nothing more. Works for me. Yes. We played a role, but our role is now over. Once we pass Kippurim, for the most part, we're retired. Um, we get to enjoy uh, Sukkah as, uh, as we camp out with God. So we're just going to consider ourselves fortunate to be allowed to witness this reunion um, and to have been adopted into the same family. Now, there is another... Um, related aspect of Kippurim, and I mentioned that uh, earlier when we began, which is Kippurath. Kippurath, like Kippurim, is based upon Kafar. Kippurath means to cover, and it describes the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, which comprises the mercy seat. It would serve as the place of reconciliation when the priests sprinkled the Kippurath uh, the the Aaron Edut, um, so the Kaporoth of the Aaron Edut, which is the the mercy seat 
of the uh, of the ark of the witness seven times with the blood of the sacrifice during the day of reconciliations <clears throat> for context here is just one of the 27 times the Kaporeth is mentioned. When Moshe went into the radiant tent of the eternal witness to the restoring appointments, that's Moed, to speak with Yahweh, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the Kaporeth, above the mercy seat, the place of reconciliation to cover the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, representing purging the past to cleanse the soul, which was beneficially associated with the Ark, the Aaron, of the enduring and restoring testimony, Ha-Iduth, and for the purpose of making connections to understand, and <coughs> to Kerubim, Kerubim, speaking with him. So, I don't know how you can miss it. How you can say, I don't get the association between these two things. The mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and this day of, of reconciliations. Yom Kippurim and Kippurim. I also don't get how you can not miss Mercy throughout this entire thing. I mean, everything, everything you know, Paul, be damned. Uh, this, this is the way to get, this is Yah showing up his mercy again. I mean, what's, and if he's doing that, why an awe interpretation? Yeah, why? I mean, gosh, yeah. Respond to the invitation. Yeah. yeah. So the mercy seat is something that Yahweh says is directly associated with the restoring appointments, the Moed. And so if the mercy seat is directly associated with the Moed, which Moed do you think that Kaporeth would be associated with? Is there any other choice well, but Kaporeth? Well, that's during Passover and Mata, yeah. Well, it's Kaporeth. Kaporeth and Kaporeth are the yeah. same word. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Can we bring Dan down for a minute? So as a merciful cover, Kippurim and Kippurith are symbolic of the garment of light provided by the set-apart spirit. She adorns us in it when, she, uh, when we become covenant, giving us the appearance of perfection. So here's how the story of, uh, of Kippurim develops in the Torah. Then Yahweh declared the word to Moshe, saying, exclusively during the tenth of the seventh month, is the day of reconciliation. This exists as a set apart and special invitation to be called out and meet for you all to approach. Then your soul, wa et nefesh atem, that part of you which is capable of being observant and responsive, should respond. Anah. Well, he's talking about your soul. And then he says it should respond. Rather than, uh, than afflict, just think about, we're only two words now into the instruction and how difficult it is to get to the religious interpretation. 
is it possible for you to deny your soul with with uh, fasting? Well, last I checked, food doesn't really nourish your soul. <laughs> no, no, it's impossible. Okay. You and we cannot deny our soul. We can't afflict our souls. <clears throat> the, these, our souls is the part of every animal that enables an animal to observe and respond to their environment. <clears throat> A plant can't do that. But an animal can observe their environment and can respond to it. And so it says, then your soul should anah. Well, the soul is the part that can respond, and then God is saying it should respond. How do you get, he didn't say it's then your flesh should be afflicted. If he was going to say you, you should abuse something, we can abuse our flesh, but we can't our soul. And our soul is the very aspect of us that is capable of responding. And so God takes as that part of us, our, our soul, the, the essence of who we are, that part of us that is observant and responsive, should anah. And there is no question that the primary meaning of anah is to reply, to respond, and to answer. And no one denies that. There are very few places where anah takes on the dark side. A lot of Hebrew words have a dark and light side. We know that. Uh, mm-hmm. But every time that a na is, is used in a sentence like this, you have to assume that Yahweh is using it in, a, in the positive light unless there is no possible way to render it that way because the primary meaning of a na is respond, answer, and reply. So then your soul... I'm sorry. Well, I don't know. I mean, but it, and your soul should respond. So this is a the uh, a, an invitation to be called out and to meet for you all to approach Yahweh on a day of reconciliations. Pretty straightforward how you're going to translate an ah, and then your soul, that part of you that is observant and responsive, should respond and appear karab. Uh, Karab means to come close, to draw near, to present oneself while staying in close proximity. Should appear before Ishe. Ishe is the feminine manifestation of God's fiery light. When God appeared to Moshe on Mount Choreb, he appeared as an Ish, the masculine word for fire. Here he is using the feminine word for fire. Fire is such a a wonderful symbol, not only for the set-apart spirit, but for God himself. So he's using the feminine here to address the the set-apart spirit. But fire is the center of the campground. When we camp out with God, Mm -hmm. the campfire is is the heart of our campground. It's what we sit around to, to uh, tell stories, to, to the, it sets the atmosphere, it provides light, it provides warmth, it enables us to cook our food for the, the feast. 
the the smoke of the the fire rises just as God is lifting us up. It's capable of transforming something physical into something that is uh, energy, both light and heat, just as we are transformed from physical beings to spiritual beings. So fire has warmth. It has, provides light. It, uh, it enables us to, to be nourished in a, in a healthy and, and pleasant way. It draws us into an environment where we can congregate together. It is uh, used uh, to refine. And it's this transformative nature from the material that wood that you put into it, something combustible that is physical, and then it becomes uh, energy. So fiery light is, is a really marvelous term for Yahweh to use uh, for the our adoptive mother, the spiritual mother, our set-apart spirit. To approach Yahweh. So I'll read that again. Then your soul should respond and appear before the feminine manifestation of the fiery light to approach Yahweh. Uh, my guess is you probably did a analysis of Anah. Would that be correct? Oh yes, sir. Yeah, would you find? Well, I say we're told to afflict uh, ourselves and even bow down. Well, that's what, what the meanings they give in some of the lexicons. So the, I said the flexible festival feast reconciling relationship had made a nasty turn, if that's true. So I looked at the uh, letters, and, of course, you have a attitude or a perspective when the eye towards the invitation, which lead from potential where we are, where we start, all the way to the uh, upright and engaged one walking towards God and becoming, um, you know, that's in the symbol of the hay. So, I mean, the letters are pretty open there. And, and I was thinking about the Ayin, too. It's, it's always an open eye for seeing and observing. And uh, um, compared that with, uh, obviously, Paul's eyes, which were blinded. He started his whole oh, yeah. road down the wrong path. So, yeah. so, so uh, an, an open so, eye, a, uh, a, the sperm and seed. So, it's either a seed that's mm-hmm. taking root and, and growing a new life. Or it's the sperm yeah. and the, the genesis right of a new child. And then a person yeah. who is uh, standing upright, reaching up, looking up to God. Um, right. So what you have is the observant, the observant yeah. child uh, grows such that they can uh, stand up and, and reach up Relate to with God. Yeah. 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 That's what enough. A picture, huh? and, and, how do you, and I said to myself, how do, you get, how do you get anything else out of that? How do you get affliction and bowing down? Where's the bowing down? Well, it, the the, uh, <laughs> the the sperm is is traveling uh, uh, up, into the and the person is standing up. up. Uh, but you're not looking closely. That is a whip, in the uh, in the two hands oh, of the individual. Well, a couple of whips. Oh, there, those are not those are not hands. Uh, those are really those are really whips. Yes, you're just whipped. Uh, not well, reading it, cor- you're not reading well, it correctly. Thank you, thank you for correcting yeah. me. Yes, so uh, Karab <laughs> is a another one. I mean, you're uh, yeah. you're dealing with uh, horizon, the Q. Yes. Uh, Roche yes. is a observant individual, and uh, Beth is a home, family home. Right. What a great picture. So you gather at the, the light. The, a new day for the observant person in the family home. Mm-hmm. And it means to come close. Yeah, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, they, 
Words, uh, the words tell a story. Language. No. So then your soul should respond. That's a, listen, God is inviting us to a party. What do you think? If God's going to invite you to a party, what is the most reasonable, responsible thing to say? No, I don't want to go. God's going to be there. No, I don't want to go there. No, let's tell God he'll no. know. Tell him to pound Let's salt. Not. Heck, I want to go back to Sodom. Heck with that. No, let's uh, let's breathe some of that smoky air in California. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, my response is when and where. When, when and where? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, he tells. Can I bring anything? He tells you when and where. You know, so it's even yeah. even better. So, and your yeah. soul should respond. And appear before the feminine manifestation of the fiery light to apply, to approach Yahweh. So there's something about Yahweh's light, the feminine manifestation of his light, that is going to be a, a means of conveyance. It's going to help us get from here mm-hmm. to there. So our soul is our, uh, our nephesh is our soul, and it's our consciousness. It's common to all animals. It's the essence of life. It, uh, makes us aware. It's able to be observant, able to be responsive. It is precisely what we need to shamar, observe the word of God, and ana, respond to it. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. We were designed for this. Now, Yahweh provided humankind with a nasama, a conscience, to mitigate the soul's one inadequacy, in giving us the ability to think logically and make reasoned and moral decisions. This is the aspect of our nature that is currently ebbing away, ceasing to be functional in most people. That's why you don't have a lot of time. You know, if you are a Jew listening to this, first of all, Yahweh tells us that his spirit is going to be withdrawn that the nasama that he gave us so that we could think our way to him is ebbing away, becoming dysfunctional. And between now and Yom Kippurim, at least two out of every three Jews are going to die. Mm. So you don't want to wait. But beyond not wanting to wait because you're going, we're gradually destroying the functionality of our nasama, our ability to exercise good judgment, because the set-apart spirit, this feminine manifestation of the light that we're walking to, is withdrawing, making it more difficult to, uh, to do, and the fact that we're moving towards an exceedingly deadly time over the next 12 years. But beyond all of that, rabbinic Judaism is miserable. It's miserable. Why would you? Yeah, why, why would you want to do that? Why do, you want to, why do you want to live in the past? Why do you want to deprive yourself of all of these things? Why, why believe the lies? So you're giving up nothing except something that is hellish, something that is, is corrupt and perverse. It's like saying, would you rather have a shower or would you rather be covered in stinky slime for the rest of your life? So you're giving up nothing except something that is disgusting when you part with religion. And when you're with Yahweh, 
it is it's a tremendous joy. You know, I the last passage I translated, I couldn't even write the commentary on it, was this afternoon. And it's uh it appears to be Yeshaya speaking to Yahweh about the uh, the fourth Jeroah. Uh and uh, and God said um to him don't allow him any rest. Don't do not allow him any activity and don't ever allow him to be silent. Now, it was written in the Jusive, which would be third person volition, but mm-hmm. uh, Nathan, which was the uh, do not allow, was negated. So the question is, is that a negation of free will for this individual because of the importance of this of this mission, or is what's being uh, negated is the will of others to silence this individual? Because it could also be interpreted, God, this is you know, it's just now uh, Yashaya, he's telling you, yeah. do not allow anyone to to cause this individual to be inactive. Do not allow anyone to silence him. Well, my, my thinking is probably the, the second is true, but let's just say it's the first. Let's just say with the negation of Nathan, give, yeah. uh, that uh, allow, that uh, God, that, that, that uh, Yeshaya is, uh, is pleading with Yahweh, don't allow him to ever stop. Do not allow him to be quiet. So and that's how I read it the first time I was going through it, the negation of uh, the Jusuf, too. So it's, it's actually the negation of free will. And, and the first thing I thought it's of was... Well, the speaker's desire. You know, uh, so uh, it's Yeshayah's the speaker uh, about this individual. Okay. And so I thought, okay, well, okay. You know, that sort of explains why I get up at, at 5.30, come here and sit in the chair, and I do it all day, and I, I leave the chair at 7.30, 8 o'clock at, uh, at night, and uh, can't wait to do it again the next day. Uh, so it doesn't matter what else is going on around me. This is just what I do. Uh, and I do it without ceasing. And I'm exceedingly vocal about it. And so... It, it could be God just saying, no, we don't have a lot of time left. And Yashaya said, I'm sorry, there'll be time for resting later. Keep him at it. Uh, that's a possibility. Let's just say it is. So what? So what? What would you rather mm-hmm. be doing? What could you do that is more fun, more liberating, more enlightening, more enjoyable, or more beneficial. And let's just I'd say I'd much that, rather be uh, doing that than what I'm doing most days. Oh yeah, and then and then add to that, you, you ought to yeah. be celebrating that you just have this opportunity to do it, right? As you said, yeah. you would love to do it, but you've got to also earn a living to take care of your family. But if you have the opportunity to do it, you ought to be celebrating it because. What what could you do that's more enlightening, more liberating, more enjoyable, or more beneficial? And and then as you know, as I was 
going to uh, lunch with later after I translated this, um, I said, so what are you really giving up to give up? Let's just say your free will is being usurped, and that's okay. You know, God uh, finally usurped uh, Pharaoh's free will on the negative side. Um, mm-hmm. There are times where he interferes and says, you know, I, I need to do this to uh, get the, the proper result. Uh, let's just say that's the case. So all you're losing is, is uh, time. And how can you lose time when you're getting an infinite amount of it in a better, in a better situation? So it's, but it, is, it does reinforce how serious God is, uh, is about this, where he's got his most important prophet saying, don't, don't, let, this, don't let this stop. Don't let it slow don't down. Don't let out, it, huh? Yeah, don't, no days off. No, no, do not allow this message to be silenced, and don't <clears throat> allow it to be halted in any way. And so if I come down, we can't play golf because yes, y'all jump all over me one day, huh? <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> you want you want to come play uh, play uh, golf? You go take it up with Yashia. You can do an arm wrestle and and we'll see if the text changes. Uh, well, that's so good. That's sad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. I get it. I get it. Stay uh, off. Come on. But you and Leah's constantly telling me, you know, which you really do it really, really do need a day off occasionally. And I said, you're right. You're right. We do need a day off. And you come back here and say, wow, look how productive today was. I don't know. Uh, it, it is. It is. Uh, it, this is a lot more fun than playing golf. I'm not a very good golfer anyway, so that's part of it. Maybe I was a better golfer. Than, uh, <laughs> that's motivation right there. Maybe maybe that's oh. part of the uh, that's maybe that's part of the deal. I walked outside the other day. I had my golf clubs because they're outside. We're doing uh, restoring work down below, and because there's you know we live near the uh, the ocean, I noticed the brand new clubs that I bought they were already rusting. That's probably oh, not no. a good probably not a good sign. So, Yom Kippurim is the uh, the sixth step on the path from being physical to spiritual, from being mortal to eternal, from being flawed to perfected, to, from being limited to liberated. Those who have answered Yahweh's summons to attend Pesach, Matzah, Bakurim, Shabuah, Teruah, and now Kippurim have discovered that these celebrations of life benefit our souls and not our bodies. And that's one of the sad things about rabbinic Judaism. It's it's all about what you can do in the here and the now, the flesh. If you go to a hundred Jewish religious sites yes. and you you search <coughs> salvation, there is no salvation in Judaism. There there's nothing beyond this world for them. That's amazing. They're making they're restricting their lives <coughs> and for nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no spirituality. Uh, you know, the, the spiritual side would be Kabbalah, and of course that's, that's demonic. No, no. And so, in rabbinic Judaism, it's all about the the here and now and what you you can and cannot do in your uh, in your life. So it's exceedingly sad that 
they don't understand that this is uh, about our souls, not our bodies. And yet it says right there, and your soul, your nephesh. Therefore, Yahweh is summoning our souls to answer his invitations to meet with him. He uh, prepares us to enter his presence, and we have to enter his presence as a spiritual being. Now, we're still talking about you know, hanging around a campfire and camping out, and yet we're going to be spiritual beings, and you say, well, isn't that a conflict? And the answer is not at all. They, no, because all you need to answer. understand is E equals MC squared. God's yeah, not going to light. change the, the laws of nature as we, uh, as we go forward. He, he wrote them. He rather likes them. E equals MC squared means that matter and energy are the same things. They're just a different amount of the same thing. Um, that, uh, that matter is a more constrained form of energy. So that it, to, to go from energy to matter, you have to reduce energy by the square of the speed of light. So if we're out, um, let's say, with the eye in the seventh dimension, we're going to be strictly a spiritual being. Uh, mm-hmm. And like light, we have an entirely different perspective on everything. You know, time is now a dimension to be navigated, not something to be stuck in. And we will understand what dark energy and dark matter really are and how to navigate this um, and explore this mar- marvelous universe and, and have all of it be accessible to us. Um, but in so doing, um, let's say that we find a, a solar system that has a planet that is conducive to life. And we say, okay. wow. Would that be swell? I'd like to go down there and have a picnic. Let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. Uh, put your feet in, the, in a stream. Feel the, the wind blow through your hair. Feel the sun on your, on your cheeks. It's all possible because you can transition an aspect of yourself into a material being using E equals MC squared and then come right back to a spiritual so you can head back to Shamaim and tell the story of how uh, Kirk uh, thought he was really clever on improving on the platypus. (laughs) So. I just draw them. I don't make them. Okay. I'll draw the plan. You will. (laughs) What do you, why are you so anti-platypus? So. Not me. the, The whole message of, of, this is that we have a soul and it's our soul that is being asked to respond to Yahweh's invitation of Yom Kippur. It is not our physical bodies. Uh, It's Yahweh's intent that we celebrate an eternal relationship and the only way we can do that is with our souls, not our physical bodies, because our physical body (coughs) deprives us of so many things. With a physical body, you cannot maneuver in time. You can't travel any distance. You can't uh, endure any length of time. (coughs) uh, Your access is is constantly thwarted. You can't show up in the presence of great energy. You'd be annihilated. So (coughs) it's really important that we understand the value of the soul and the fact that the body 
<coughs> means very, very little. <coughs> so, God says, Then Yahweh declared the, <coughs> this is the summation of where we have just been, Yahweh declared the word of Moshe, saying, exclusively, <coughs> during the tenth of the seventh month is the day of reconciliations. This exists as a set-apart and special invitation to be called out and meet for you to approach. Then your soul should respond and answer and appear before the feminine manifestation of the fiery light to approach Yahweh. To this, the Jewish Publications Society, this is uh, their rendition. The Lord. Now, God said, then Yahweh. They wrote, the Lord. Now, why do they think it's appropriate for them to copy edit God and to remove his name and replace it with a being that is the antithesis of a father? But nonetheless, they wrote, the Lord spoke to Moses. And it's not Moses. That's, that's the Greek okay. version of his name. The E-S ending is to accommodate the uh, Greek lexicon. He wasn't a Greek. Well, certainly wasn't a Greek. It, his name is Moshe, and Moshe means to draw out, which was the whole purpose of the Yatza Exodus, is to draw us out of religious and political corruption. Yeah, well, so this thing reads, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Mark, Mark. Well, we got Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. Mark? (laughs) Where is Mark here? It's Ot, exclusively, only. There's no Mark. There might be a Chuck, but no Mark. Mark, the tenth day of the seventh month, is the Day of Atonement. It shall be a sacred occasion. Kodesh doesn't mean sacred. No. Kodesh means set apart. Set apart. It's yes, not hard. It's a will. simple concept. Set apart. That means not common. Your religion is common. Your religion is not set apart. Politics is common. It's not set apart. If you're going to be with God, you're going to be set apart from man and set apart unto him. Probably the most important concept there is, and they rendered it sacred? No. Set apart. And then Mikra, which is from Kara, which means to invite and summon, to meet and greet, to read and recite. These dinkumpeeps, Poops. Change. This is the Jewish Publication Society. They changed Mikra invitation, which is rather important. If God's issuing an invitation, you ought to pay attention. If he's issuing a summons, you ought to pay attention. If he wants to meet, you ought to respond and say, yeah. As JB would say, just tell me when and where. They changed it to occasion. Oh, we could have a, let's occasionally meet. No, it's not a sacred occasion for you. It reads, this is a set-apart invitation to be called out and meet. And then it's la atam. The la is a preposition, but as a preposition it means to approach, to draw near. 
They know that. Could you render it for you? Yes. Is that its primary meaning? No. You shall practice self-denial, they wrote. You should practice self-denial. It doesn't say self, and it sure as hell doesn't say denial. It says, then your soul should respond. How in the hell do you get, then your soul should respond, and you change it to, you shall practice self-denial. Hey, I've got the day of reconciliation. We're going to have this grand party. You should practice self-denial. Only one cookie. What? What are you going to deny? You're going to deny being reconciled to God? You're going to deny the invitation uh-huh. to meet with him? You're going to deny his name? Well, you did that pretty well. I guess you're going to deny all those yeah. things. Maybe it is for you a day of denial. You're denying Yahweh's name. You're denying the Mikra. You're denying the fact that it's set apart. You're denying that you're being given the opportunity to meet. You're denying that it is a day to approach. You're denying it all. I don't know why I'm so critical. It's perfect for them, isn't it? Embrace it if you love it. And you shall bring, you shall bring. Where is you shall bring? It's you should respond and appear before. (coughs) Karab does not mean bring. It doesn't mean bring. It means to appear before. Go up, appear, go up. Kirk, did you look it up in a lexicon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as, uh, once again, you've got that nice uh, cue. Um, I'm going to flip it over here. Yeah. Oh, uh, which is uh, a new day, uh, uh, the light of the, uh, the rising uh, sun, a new opportunity, uh, and the roaches for a thinking individual. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the, uh, the aim home, is, yeah. is being observant. What in the world are they, are they missing here? Anyway, so you've got car, oh, uh, car up. So, I mean, sorry, the last letter is, uh, is uh, Bayat, uh, home. Yeah, so, back to home. Yeah. Uh, yes, a, a new day, new light, new opportunity to be observant and enter the, uh, the home. Car up. It doesn't say, and you shall bring anything. Offering by fire. Oh, they got the fire part right. Ishe is the feminine word for fire. They got that part right. How do you get offering out of Ishe? Where, where, is there, where is there an offering here? God's offering to meet with us. God's offering an invitation. But this is you shall bring. And by the way, there is no verb there to bring. You shall bring an offering by fire. To whom? The Lord. And this says Yahweh. I mean, they didn't get any part of that right. I mean, the opening, in the opening sentence, they ignored the beginning wall, changed Yahweh to the Lord, inadequately rendered Debar, misspelled Moshe, incorrectly translated Ak, ignored Ba, uh, and added the first day without any textual support. In the second sentence, they mistranslated Kodesh and Mikra, which uh, are the only words which matter. 
And the third statement, they completely ignored nephesh and translated, mistranslated ana, changing it from you should respond to you should practice self-denial. Then they changed the meaning of karab, appear before, to bring. Ishe is either fire or female, and it became offering by fire, as if the fate of women in Judaism was be offered to the fire. And for bad measure, they replaced Yahweh a second time, changing his name to Satan's title, the Lord. Is it any wonder that religious Jews are lost? Is it any wonder that God is disgusted by them? You know, of the 37 words, including prepositions, articles, and conjunctions in Yahweh's declaration, there really is only one subject to interpretation. Ishe. Therefore, other than being dumb, blind, and religious, there are no excuses for their remaining 13 mistakes. Uh, Kirk, you sent me four pages of uh, of here are the words, mm-hmm. even if you just go back to the letters. It doesn't matter if you go yeah. to the lexicons or to the letters. All right. This is all very straightforward. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, I would say that the only place where you could say, well, you've uh, feminine manifestation of the fiery light is a uh, is a stretch. Uh, not much, because, of course, Ishe means uh, fire, and it's written in the feminine. Mm-hmm. And but it's the torch that lights the way. It only has all yeah. those connotations. Yeah, yeah that's, that's about all you uh, you get. So you're being asked to approach and come near, and you have to choose what you're coming near. I mean, you could... Well. <clears throat> I'll also add, I don't know whether this is relevant or not, but I added in there about, you know, is uh, Moshe appeared before the light. That was, he came up there, and that's the introduction mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. Korob. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not a... Uh, Uncommon concept. It's not an odd thing to say. Yeah, it's no. not a concept. You know, it's, it's when, uh, when Yahweh introduced himself to, um, to Moshe, he was mm-hmm. uh, a fire on top of the mountain. Yeah. When... When Yahweh took the children of Israel through the wilderness, he was a column of fire. That's how oh, yeah, I, I added that too. Yeah, I'm enough. Yes. Yeah. Colors yeah. of light throughout for 40, 400, for 40 years, rather. Right. Every day. When Yahweh uh, explains that he would, he explains what his nature is most similar to, he says, light. Right. Well, what is the thing Remember, in our be- natural world that, that provides light other than the sun? Well, it has to fire. be the fire. That's your nighttime fire. light. Priest. Right. Priest. Right. Yeah. So. So it has to it has to relate on a level that they can understand in those days too. I mean, that's 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 what they did. They didn't flip a switch. That was their no. light. So. That was the light. They they built a fire. Correct. Yes. The uh, menorah doesn't did not have light bulbs. It had. Uh, it had olive oil. oil. Yeah, olive oil mm-hmm. luminaries. And. The luminary produced light through fire. All seven of those luminaries had little reservoirs and wicks 
and which when ignited created a fire. That's, so all of the light came from fire. The menorah represents the Moed Mikre. It represents the covenant. It represents Yahweh. It represents the seven spirits. It represents the seven Moed Mikre. It represents uh, so much. It represents the rainbow, even that, uh, that is the, uh, yeah. the, the promise of the of the covenant. Uh, and so it's it is a lamp that lights through fire. So to come into the the maternal manifestation of the fiery light is is the most reasonable, most direct, most accurate um, translation of that uh, of that concept. And um, you know, you only have two, um, which you would say, unchallenged uh, renderings. One is come into the presence of the uh, of the feminine manifestation of the fire, which is what Isha means, all Isha, Isha means, or Isha, which is a feminine individual, mother, wife, uh, uh, woman. So since God is saying, you know, stay away from, from women you don't know, uh, of the two, you can actually combine both concepts into the feminine manifestation of God's fiery light. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think we have much risk in saying that is the proper definition, but the rest of it is exceedingly straightforward, and there's no room in there for an offering by fire. God's not asking us to bring anything other than our soul. That's it. Now, misrepresenting... Kodesh is inexcusable, not only because the word's meaning is known, not only because it is used to describe so many things that are special to God, but because being separated from religion to become set apart in the special to Yahweh is essential. Kodesh, to be set apart, is one of the most important concepts to ascertain within Yahweh's lexicon. God uses it here to underscore the fact that his mikre are different than religious holidays, making them unique, special, uncommon. To be Kodesh is to be non-religious. It is to be non-conspiratorial. It is to be non-political. All the things that are popular in Conspiracy now is the fastest growing belief system in the world. Um, And probably 40% of the world's population adheres to conspiracy. Um, Second only to conspiracy in terms of belief systems is Christianity. Third would be Islam. Fourth would be socialist, secular, humanism, and communism. Those are all belief systems that are enormously popular, followed by Hinduism. Enormously popular. They're the opposite of set apart. So to be set apart is the antithesis to be everything that, that man is not. If you're going to be part of the covenant, then you need to be set apart from those things, which means you cannot be conspiratorial. You cannot be religious. You cannot be political. So it does not mean sacred. It means set apart, different than. 
May I ask a question? Sure. When I looked up Kadesh in Kadash, the verbal root, mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything but set apart. I mean, it was really overwhelming. Yeah. So <laughs> pretty crystal clear word. So I mean, where do you get, where do you get it? Where do Yes, there's only. You just got to. You know, yeah. no, in all fairness, uh, Kirk, what you, what you find is that if you look at any lexicon, the first definition of Kodesh is set apart. The second definition is separated, which means set apart. The third definition okay. is usually special, which yeah. means okay. un- uncommon. Uh, mm-hmm. But Unique. almost okay. all of the lexicons yeah. are published by religious publishers. Oh, I know. And they're almost all published oh. for the purpose of justifying English translations. And that's why okay. if you're going to translate and you're going to look up the words, you have to have a filter. You've got to know when they're defining the word and when they're justifying their translations. Yeah. And that is particularly true with Strong's, but it's, uh, it's true with all of them, even the twat, the, uh, the uh, TWOT, yeah, it. Right, yeah. The the word book of the Old Testament. It has so many uh useful insights. Uh almost none of them are the insights that say, Well, so and so I had this understanding because they're all religious nincompoops. But they will say in this particular stem you'll find it used in these four places to convey the following, and then over here with this stem it's used to convey this and it's really a wonderful way to to say all right i need to, i wanted to find this word like uh ishe for example or uh in my case the word that led me to so many realizations zoroa when when i i came to a place where zoroa could not be translated sacrificial lamb and i'm saying oh now what do i do because that's how I translated all the way through was sacrificial lamb, because that's how it's introduced in the Torah. The Torah, it's, the Zeroah is part of the sacrificial lamb of Pesach. And uh, what you find is that God has several definitions of Zeroah depending on who it's being applied to. But the, one of the great tools of going and finding it is to use the lexicon like the word book of the, uh, the Old Testament uh, because it will very quickly say it's used in these places. So you can just go right to them and, uh, and translate what's there. And now you have, uh, you know, what, how God is using the word in a sentence that becomes your working definition. Uh, and if some words have multiple meanings, you can explore them uh, that way. But you have to be, you still have to filter out all the religious jargon. Um, but in these cases, uh, Kodesh is, uh, is pretty straightforward. It's, um, it means to set, be set apart, and, and set apart is such a powerful concept. That, uh, uh, it means that the set-apart spirit, the Ruach Kodesh, is part of Yahweh, set apart from him. Uh, so that tells you that... She is not a second person of a trinity. She's not a separate persona. She's simply part of Yahweh, set apart from him for a particular purpose. And because Ruach has, uh, is a feminine noun, uh, she has maternal characteristics. Um, but 
everything that he always yeah. speaks about is Kodesh. Mm-hmm. Everything supportive of him is Kodesh. Yeah, I was reading one of my old books, and you know how in Mitzrayim during the times of Solomon, you know what they called Jerusalem? No. The city, the city set apart. The Kodesh mm. city. Yeah. It, it's been around a long time for y'all's people. Yeah. Yes. Our Kodesh. Correct. The Mikra, our Kodesh. The Moed, our Kodesh. The Covenant is Kodesh. The Shabbat is Kodesh. Yahweh's spirit is Kodesh. Yahweh's name is Kodesh. Yahweh's people are Kodesh. Uh, everything is important to God. It's Kodesh. And so the last thing that Kodesh could mean is sacred because religions are considered sacred and they're the antithesis of set apart. They're May I ask one quick question mm-hmm. before, sure. because I know we're running out of time, but as now that you've got so many books and they're rewritten and everything, my feeling has always been, because some of these issues, so many of these issues, like we, the one we were just discussing, is addressed in yada yada. So when you find someone who wants to do that, is it still, I still feel like uh, yada yada is what got me here. Uh, yes. And, and it's so much better now, um, what the parts that I've been sneaking off to read when I had time. Um, is that I would still start somebody there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't y'all, or y'all have a different opinion? You would do what now? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm if, not if sure. somebody wanted to read this new, I would send them to Yada Yah, the first, that first book. Uh, Yada Yah will uh, start there rather than uh, uh, Introduction to God, or, or unless they just had a thing. Well, well, right now, yeah, yeah, well, well, right now, Introduction to God isn't even available. Uh, okay. I'm rewriting it, so I, I know I, I know you're rewriting. Oh no, it's not even. It's can't, can't be bought and purchased in the hardback, and it's no longer on the uh, on the website. Okay. So okay. It, it doesn't it doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, there is uh, written in stone, which is temporarily presented as a volume of an introduction to God, but it it will be mm-hmm. swallowed into the. Uh, um, the lone volume of Introduction to God, and Introduction to God is getting moved to the far left of the bookshelf. It'll be the first book in the series. Uh, but that is what I'm, I'm writing right now, and I, I expected to be finished with it because I thought I was just going to be uh, rewriting the word and the, uh, the introduction, the word and the name section of it, mm-hmm. and I, I thought I'd move the two long sections, which is really two full volumes. It's about... 1,400 pages, I thought I'd move everything on the Torah into Yada Yah and make it the next two volumes of Yada Yah. So you go from mm-hmm. Mikra, uh, Ketzar, Harvest, Moed, which are the three volumes on the Moed Mikra, into two volumes on the, on the Torah. Uh, and what I have found is that, is that if it's going to be the introduction, uh, introductory book on the shelf, then I need to write it as an introductory book. And when God introduces himself to people, there's a, he has a pattern. So that's the why you. And then okay. why is it that, that God is making such a fuss over us conveying this message? Why us? And so I'm rewriting it as why you, why me? Um, because it's going so to be ground zero. That'll be ground zero then, right? It'll be ground zero. It's going to be the, yes, okay. this is where this is where you begin. But uh, 
you know, I I have a, a different approach. I, I, when somebody says, they, where do what which book do I read? I said, well, where are you? Yeah, if you're yeah. if you're a if you come up and say, well, I'm a Christian, I'd say, well, then don't start anywhere. Go away. If you if you can't figure it out, and you're a Christian, it's not going to do you. I've got nothing for you. So just just go away. If, uh, Start if with questioning no, no. Paul. If you can make it through that, we'll continue. Yes, and, <laughs> but I'll say, you know, if you're if you're genuinely open, and you're willing to recognize that Paul was the plague of death, and he was demon possessed, and that his very premise is is just laughably absurd, and you're uh, therefore open minded, then yeah, read uh, questioning Paul. It's it's only now uh, twenty five hundred pages. If you can make it through questioning Paul <laughs> and uh, stay a Christian, you know the uh, the we just added another ten pages or so, maybe fifteen pages to uh, volume four of questioning Paul. Um, so it it continues to expand. And the last thing we just added, uh, are you aware of what uh, is alleged that Yashaya, uh, excuse me, that um, that Yosha cited uh, the, the, right after he finished his, his little uh, uh, mono spirito with, uh, with Satan. So he's, you know, he's battled it out with Satan. And then what happens next? It's covered in uh, the book of Luke. That's when we, he, you know, cast your, I'm, I can't, he, I'm so he, long he, ago. He heads, he heads into uh, to Nazareth, which doesn't even exist okay. at the time. And then into a synagogue, as was his custom on the Shabbat. A synagogue is a religious center, and it's uh, it's based upon uh, the Greek language. There is no word that he would close to synagogue in uh, in Hebrew. Uh, it means to uh, to bring together would be synagogue uh, in the uh, the Greek. Uh, he waltzes into a synagogue, and then uh, the attendant hands him a book. Now, there were no books at the time, but nonetheless, the attendant hands a book, and the book the attendant hands him isn't the Torah, so he's not there to explain, uh, I am the, uh, I'm here as the Pesach lamb, let's read the story of the Pesach lamb, you know that it comes into the home four days before Pesach, Uh, you you know uh, how the family uh, comes to know the lamb, and you know that on the, the 14th day of the first month, the, uh, uh, the Pesach lamb is, uh, is prepared for the family to eat. And, and then what happens that uh, after Pesach, the unedible portions are, uh, are destroyed and it's, it's for uh, uh, eternal life. And, and then, of course, that's followed by matzah. And this is what's going to happen to my soul. And No, he doesn't do that. Which would be the only thing he could read that would have any merit is, let me explain to you what's going to happen. I'm the Pesach lamb, and we've got Matz and Bakotam afterwards. That's not what he did. The attendant handed the book of uh, Isaiah. Do you know the book most disdained by, uh, by religious Jews? Book of Isaiah. You know why the book of Isaiah According to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. The book of Isaiah is the book most effective at condemning Judaism. Rabbis hate it. And so 
Oh, that's, by the way, another problem with the Christian New Testament. All the, all the arguments of, uh, about the rabbis, you know, Yosha taking into task, and then the rabbis that were scheming to kill him and all this stuff, rabbi here, rabbi there. Uh, Paul was the best of the rabbis. He, he went to a rabbinical school, all that stuff. There were no rabbis in the first century. There were no rabbis in the first century. First rabbi doesn't exist until the second century. Uh, we little problem. Of course, there was no oh, Nazareth. Well. Is another wee little problem. Anyway, he waltzes into the synagogue in and, uh, and, and, and a place that doesn't exist, Nazareth. And he starts reading from the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah. And the story he tells in the scroll of Isaiah is about the approach to Sukkah. That's the prophecy he's reading. And then when he finishes the prophecy, which he misquotes it, misapplies it, adds things to it that aren't there, takes things away from it that are there, stops mid-sentence. This, by the way, the part that he quoted is the longest run-on sentence I have ever seen. I'm constantly accused of having run-on sentences. Well, that's the run-on sentence to end all run-on sentences. And, uh, and he just stops right in the middle of it. And then he says that uh, you, been fulfilled this, these, these, these words are all being fulfilled uh, before your very eyes, and you're listening. And it's speaking of something that's happening between now and 2033. And so we added that to the end of questioning Paul, just to say, this is how badly the quotation is. This is how badly it's, it's, it's uh, misconstrued and misapplied. And oh, by the way, by him saying this applies to uh, to me as being fulfilled in your presence, and there was nothing that was that pertained to his life, and nothing that was being that would be fulfilled in his life it was off by two thousand years, and yet you got billions of Christians, and not one of them is capable of comparing the actual text of Yeshua and the context of that text. To uh, to what uh, is alleged that uh, Luke would put in his mouth, who wasn't there at the time. So it is important to for us to be very logical as we approach uh, uh, these things. Mikra is another term uh, to rob the mikra of its relevance by rendering it an occasion is really a crime. Mm-hmm. Its very composition begs us to the M-Y, the Mick before Kara, the M, mm-hmm. it's, it's transliterated M-I, but it's, uh, it's in Hebrew, the I sound is from the, the Y, M-Y in Hebrew yeah. is an interrogatory. It means to consider the implications of something. So it begs us to my, ponder the implications of Kara being summoned and invited, reading and recited, being greeted and welcomed while making proclamations about being called out. Called out is a very similar concept to Kodesh, mm-hmm. set apart. Called out, yeah, set apart. Separating. So yeah. the invitation is to be called out on the uh, set apart by Mikra. They dovetail together beautifully. So how is one to know what to do when the instructions are tossed aside? I think that's another of the words that you analyzed. Uh, mikra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mem, kof, 
Well, the man uh, has to ponder and consider what's being asked to do, right? Yeah. And then with the quaff, you know, quaff can be understood uh, as uh, sun up or sun down. I, I said that today, according to Yahweh, begins in the sundown, so I was looking at more of as a night is uh, when the day begins on the night in the evening. Mm-hmm. So the light is generally more colorful then, and even all the colors of the rainbow can be up here. Um, like down where you are, you can see them yeah. beautifully. Yeah, with it, all it this. does mean yeah, it means sun on the horizon, and you yeah. are uh, we're free to view it as the sun on the horizon at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day. You uh, and my wife both like to see Kof uh, as the sun on the horizon on the end of the day. You must be mm-hmm. evening people. I'm a morning I'm person. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's like Doe. He got up early well, in the morning okay. and he was at it. it I'm a morning life. person. I see the Kof as the beginning of a new day. This is an opportunity to learn something more, share something uh, more, get something done that's worthwhile. <clears throat> For me, it's, it's a new opportunity. It's a new day. But you can have it be the end of your day if you want it. That's, that's okay. <laughs> well, anyway, well, I do, because just gathering, you're gathering together and you're telling your stories and everything you've done. Yeah, okay. so oh, forth. by the so, way, the, the M so, here, you know, uh, it's, for me, it's just perfect, because as I'm looking right. at the sunrise, you know, and I'm looking at rise over, the water. Uh, over the ocean, yeah. You're right. And when I see it set, yeah. I'm seeing it set over the ocean. And so ocean, I just yeah. love the, the Memkof of Mikra. It's just, uh, it's perfect. And people know that I actually named my boat uh, Kara. Kara. So, uh, yeah, yeah uh, from um, the base of the micro. But it's, uh, it is uh, waves, water, so waves on the sea, uh, micro. Uh, so it's uh, waves, sunrise or sunset, the horizon. That's a nice turn. That's a nice twist on yeah. it, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can throw that in. I'll add that one. And then, of course, you got the Rosh or the Resh, representing yeah. those who, uh, of their own free will, to shamar Yahweh's words and accept an invitation. Because it is an invitation, you can refuse it, but you certainly have free will in there yes. to assure uh, desire. And then, of right. course, the Aleph represents Yahweh to me and uh, more times than not in this context, the power, family authority, leader, provider, enabler. And in this context, it is the rock that appears as a maternal representation of Yahweh uh, as well, because we're going to meet the light. So, mm-hmm. in this, in the these mikras. So, yeah, it's um, all the way down to the verbal roots and the, even the two-letter roots. It's, it's the same thing, over, yes, over and over and over again. So, and to squander all of that with occasion. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah, you ain't kidding. You know, and speaking of instructions, perhaps the rabbis can explain why God, who created our nephish soul, would have used this word as the subject of the sentence and then to describe the invitees if his intent was for their souls to be excluded. If you're going to deny your soul, why, why would God write it the way he wrote it? No. Uh, asked another way, since these words were spoken by God and written in the Torah by Moses, Moshe, what gives man the right to alter God's testimony? Do the rabbis actually believe they're smarter and more articulate than Yahweh? And we turn to, to translating the next word, Anah. It's not difficult. And yet the rabbis managed to butcher it. 
the verb appears over 400 times in the Torah and Prophets. Especially telling, it is used repeatedly in uh, connection with the Mikra invitations throughout them. Now, God answer, <coughs> offers a Mikra invitation, a Mikra singular, okay, offers an invitation, and then he encourages us to ana. Well, what do you do with an invitation? RSVP? Yeah. Respond? Lie? Answer? Yes, sir. Yes. Not hard to figure this out, which is the most intelligent thing to do, and indeed the most polite when receiving a summons or invitation from the Almighty. Further, this is Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations, denoting Yahweh's return on behalf of his family. So how dense did the Hasidic have to be to turn such a wonderful occasion, occasion into a day of deprivation and affliction? Wonderful party. Yeah. Now, keeping it real, rendering anah as usual practice self-denial requires a level of stupidity that is almost unfathomable and arrogance. It is akin to saying, God is coming to save us, so quick, let's deny him and, and keep him from doing so. Let's slap the, the, the face of God. Something the rabbis are... Slap the invitation right out of his hand. Let's do that. That's, that yeah. is what we ought to do. Let's deny it. Let's deny the invitation. That will work out fine for us. And the uh, previous uh, chapter, while we were reviewing uh, Yeshaya 56, uh, that was uh, we ended our program uh, last week on Yeshaya 56, we learned that all of those who are celebrating this day with Yahweh are joyous. So by misrepresenting Anah, rabbis have deliberately excluded themselves from this reunion. Well, that may be a good place for us to uh, to pause. We'll, we can pick this up uh, next week. It's good to have you back with us, uh, JB. Yes, JB. Uh, Hello. Hope to be back more often. <laughs> yeah, that's that wonderful. Uh, wonderful to, to hear you. Hope uh, all is well with uh, your family and, uh, and career, and we'll just uh, continue going through this. We have a lot to say because Yahweh has a lot to say about Yom Kippurim. He, uh, it gets more prophetic ink than any other day by a huge shot. The entire book of Zachariah is about Yom Kippur. And we're going to learn some things in Zachariah that will blow you away. Just so insightful. So, um, yeah, uh, the way that he's woven this story together. And then the entire book of Malachi, the last book, the last prophet. It's from beginning to end. It is all about uh, Yom Kippur. So this is a really important day in the life of Israel. It's our, it is our calling. It's our purpose is to teruah Yom Kippur so that Yah's people know that this is the day that they must come out of religious and political Babylon, return to Yahweh, and reconcile their relationship. So look forward to being with you next week. Uh, may uh, Yah bless you all. And happy Shabbat. Good night. Shalom, shalom, shalom. shalom.